Groucho Marx once said, Outside of a dog, a book is a man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. This is Inside of a Dog, a podcast about books, writing and good stories. Not dogs. Hello there and welcome to a brand new episode of Inside of a Dog. It's been a while. How are you? How are you doing? If you're a previous subscriber, thank you for staying subscribed. And if you're new to the podcast, thank you for downloading. Hope you enjoy it. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh, I kind of wanted to give the podcast a little bit of a break over the summer and enjoy the weather. And then kind of life took hold a little bit, uh, moving house here and there. It's kind of taken a while to get the podcasting up and running again. But there's a new season now and I'm really excited about it. It's great. The first few episodes uh, I really enjoyed making. Uh, I'm new to this podcast thing and it was a pleasure chatting to people and putting everything together, the editing process, the publishing process and all of that kind of thing. But I was very much finding my way through it uh, and and kind of almost sort of running before I could walk. And I feel a little bit more in control now. And this second series that I'm putting together, I'm a little bit more out of my comfort zone, which is great. I'm a writer myself here and there. And a lot of the guests from the first series were friends that I'd already made or friends of friends. And this particular season, the vast majority of people I'm going to be speaking to are complete strangers. They're people that I've never met before uh, from the world of writing, uh, publishing. There's going to be translators, there's going to be editors, and there's going to be lots of really good chats. So I hope you stick with us for this new season. It's going to be very good. This first episode, I'm going to be chatting to Kavita Banhot, who is, uh, she's a uh, writer based in the Midlands in the UK, and she is more importantly the editor of the Comma Book of Birmingham, which is a collection of stories that's just been published, uh, all of which centre around um, the UK's second city, I believe it's called. Uh, and it's an area, it's kind of close to my heart. Um, most of my family are sort of from there on my dad's side. And I grew up sort of about half an hour away. So here I am sort of podcasting from my dining room table in Dublin. And there's a little bit of home. It sounds like a really great collection. And Kavita does have a lot to say about the city. Uh, and I hope you kind of get a feel for the place. And you're also intrigued enough to kind of buy the book uh, and also Kavita talks a lot about her work as a translator and her own writing, which is great. So um, what I'd probably normally do about now is kind of maybe muck about with a few kind of minor features uh, before I go to the interview. But I don't want to do that. I've kept you waiting long enough for a brand new episode. So I'm just going to really cut to it. Uh, we're going to kick off this podcast with Jendela Benson, who is one of the writers whose work is contained in the Comma Book of Birmingham. So uh, she's going to be introducing herself and reading a little bit of her story. And then we're just going to go straight into the interview with Kavita. Hi, my name's Jendela Benson, and I'm one of the authors who has contributed to the Book of Birmingham short story collection. My short story is called Kindling, and it's set during a period of contemporary Birmingham history that no one really talks about 
Um, when I describe this period in time, I often describe it like a hallucination or like a dream because there was this period of really intense activity, unrest, um, also violence that took place over the course of a weekend. But then by the time that it got to Monday, everyone kind of just went back to school and college and work as normal. And it was almost as if nothing had happened. And I find that that kind of imagery of like hallucination, it also reflects what it feels like to be young. Like you're kind of living on this knife's edge between being really vulnerable and feeling invincible, between like the thrill of adventure and actual like danger. And at the time that this happened, I was 16. So I was very much in that mindset of youth and kind of like youthful folly, I guess you could call it. So um, yeah, writing this story kind of immortalized not only that period, but also that feeling of being young and carefree and just kind of waking up to what the reality of the world and your community and what's going on around you is actually about. So I really did enjoy writing the story and I hope that everyone reads it, gets a similar sense of enjoyment and thrill. So I'm gonna now read an excerpt from my story. Um, It's near the beginning and just to kind of set up what happens before the part that I'm gonna read. It's the day after the riots, disturbances, unrest, however you wish to describe it, has taken place. And the main character, Lauren, is leaving her house and going to meet a boy who she has a crush on. The quiet of the residential side streets was nothing compared to the silence that swamped Lauren when she reached the main road. At any other time, Soho Road was a bustling artery of the city with buses nosing their way through traffic, lined up end to end, and people spilling onto the streets from newsagents, banks, supermarkets and fast food takeaways. Even on a Sunday evening, there would be the footfall of worshippers making their way to and from church services and Sunday dinners. But today the streets were completely deserted, except for the fluorescent jackets of police officers studding the empty road at intervals in either direction, as far as the eye could see. They glowed in the weak October light. Lauren dug her hands deep into the pockets of her cropped white jacket, wanting to draw the fur-lined hood up and over her ears to ward off an imaginary chill. But conscious that the action might make her look suspicious, she settled for clenching her fists inside her pockets and kept walking. Each officer she passed mutely watched her go. As Lauren approached the turn that she needed to take, she glimpsed a small fluorescent cluster outside the blue shutters of the Afro hair and beauty shop ahead. Maybe they were there to collect forensic evidence, she thought. Maybe a young girl had been raped after she was caught shoplifting. It seemed plausible enough. Everyone knew someone who had stolen something from a hair shop, that is, if they weren't a thief themselves. Whenever she went into one of the Asian-owned shops on the high street, she would be shadowed by one of the shopkeepers as the employees talked over her head in Urdu or Punjabi or whatever language it was that they spoke. If the young girl was assaulted, then the fear alone would be reason not to go to the police immediately. Lauren could sympathise with that, but if the girl was hit illegally too, of course she could never report it. I heard that she probably didn't report it because she voluntarily spread her legs, Melissa had said with authority on the phone the day before. 
She probably got caught teething and when they threatened to call the feds, she got shook because she's not got papers and offered up the pom-pom. But you know how them men are? What's the word? Repressed, ain't it? They think we're easy compared to their women. Their religion only lets them sex their wives to have kids. They ain't allowed to use johnnies or nothing. Ain't that Catholics though? Lauren had asked. Catholics, Pakistanis, Jehovah's Witnesses, it's all of them. She hadn't told Melissa about Z, of course. She could already imagine the look of disgust darkening her face and her reaction. Blood, are you mad? You want to end up chop up in little bits when they come for the honour killing? Or maybe she'd just be shocked that Lauren was talking to a boy, any boy, Asian or not. Melissa often teased her about her inexperience and when Theo at college had sidled up to her as they waited outside the chip shop, Melissa had cut in, you're trying to chat to Lauren, I'll tell you now you'll be disappointed. Her pussy's tighter than a cat's arsehole. Then she had cackled wildly, savouring the sting of her vulgarity. Lauren hadn't realised that she stopped in the street, staring in the direction of the alleged crime scene until an officer approached. Miss, are you lost? No, no, I'm sorry. You best be getting home, not the safest time for a Sunday stroll. The officer nodded towards the hair shop and Lauren quickly turned the corner, not slowing down until she reached the end of Z's road. She stopped to inspect her reflection in the window of a parked car, rearranging the two braids that snaked out from the nape of her neck. She smoothed down the careful display of fine hairs that radiated from her hairline and tutted to herself for not bringing any jam gel to slick down the few wayward kinks. For a second, her mind strayed to the image of a frightened 14-year-old in the back storeroom of a hair and beauty shop. She shook the image from her mind and pulled out her phone. She was ready. My name's Kavita Banot, um, and I probably do too many different things and don't do justice to any of them, but they're all in my head connected, um, definitely connected to literature. So um, I write fiction. I'm working at the moment, or I have been working for a while on a novel. Um, I've also got a novella. Um, I also edit. I've been reading manuscripts for many years with uh, the literary consultancy, and um, that's kind of a way that I keep in touch with kind of new work that's emerging. I'm also an academic, and at the moment I've just recently um, started at Leicester University a kind of postdoc. Uh, research fellowship and I look at uh, British Asian literature particularly through a Punjabi kind of um, focus so I'm, I'm looking I'm questioning the idea of Britishness or nation as a way of looking at this literature and and, and reading the work of um, Punjabi origin writers in English and Punjabi and I've also started recently doing translation work from Hindi and Punjabi 
So I guess those are the main threads of that, what I do. That's a, that's a lot to talk about. I think we only have about an hour. <laughs> it's, I could probably spend an hour on each of those things. That's really fascinating. I mean, yeah. so one of the reasons why uh, we're chatting is that you're involved in a, a project that's just come along um, by Comma Press, and it's a collection of... Uh, is it all short fiction or is there any kind of non-fiction pieces in there? No, it's all short stories. And it's all based around the city of Birmingham. Um, so um, is that where you're originally from or is, have you, how long have you been, have you ever been a Brummie? Um, so I'm actually not from Birmingham. I grew up in a place uh, called Plumstead in southeast London. But um, we had a, a kind of religious community that my family was part of. So growing up, we spent a lot of time and we had a lot of family friends in Birmingham, particularly Hansworth. So I grew up spending a lot of time in Birmingham. And at 18, I came to Birmingham to study at the university and ended up staying for about 10 years in the city. After that, I did live in different areas, including India. It was always coming back to the city and I recently came back to live here. Oh, great. So, um, so that's where you're living at the moment. So uh, how that's did right. you get involved with this project? Did uh, Comma approach you or was it something, the the idea that you had yourself? So actually, um, I approached Comma because there were a few writers I had in mind that I was in touch with who were all from Hansworth. And um, I was thinking it might be interesting. I didn't actually know about Comma City Series. Um, so I thought it might be a, an interesting idea to bring these writers together and then when I did approach uh, Ra Page from Comma he suggested that um, he's been in kind of thinking about doing an anthology of short stories based in Birmingham he has a lot of anthologies or, or comedas from different cities in Britain and across the world so they've got a Manchester one um, they've got they've got some other cities in in Britain but not they didn't have one from Birmingham and so you've been involved, I, I take it then, with the liter literature scene in Birmingham uh, for quite some time. I mean, what's it? Uh, what, what kind of writers are there? Uh, so in some ways, I have returned to the city. So there are a lot of new writers um, I think I'm kind of finding and connecting with. The kind of literary Birmingham I knew when I was living here for 10 years um, was, um, I guess it, was, it seemed like there were... There were still a lot of writers, but not as many as there are today. Um, I was connected quite closely to Tyndall Street Fiction Group and Tyndall Street Press. Um, and I think it was really nice for me after having done a master's as well in creative writing to connect with a lot of working class kind of writers, especially through this group. And uh, I found it to be a very supportive community and Tyndall Street Press kind of emerged from that. So I th I, the, the sense I had at that time was that there's these writers who are very grounded and rooted in the city. Um, and so is their writing. That's good. Tell uh, me a little bit more about um, Tyndall Street Press, because I think I visited there probably about 10 years ago and did uh, a writing workshop there for a couple of days. Uh, and I know it's kind of no longer running, but if you could tell me a little bit more about that. It was a publishing house, wasn't it, that was originally based there? That's right. Uh, I have to say I can't sing Tyndall Street Press's uh, praises highly enough. I was about 21 when I um, wrote... A, I, I think I saw a flyer that they were looking for short stories for this anthology they were going to produce called Whispers in the Walls by Black and Asian writers. Um, and I, it was literally the first thing I wrote as an adult and sent it for this anthology and ended up getting it published. And 
it felt like it was a big boost. And I think that's the role that they produced a lot of anthologies of short stories. And a lot of the time it involved new writers and kind of nurturing writers, having workshops. So there's a very kind of grassroots um, aspect to it. The history of the press is that there was this fiction group that was meeting for many, many years, every fortnight, partly because the writers, one in particular, Alan Beard, who is in Book of Birmingham, actually, um, had had his um, he'd been having problems get finding a publisher for his collection of short stories. So um, the press decided, partly as a kind of counter to how London-centric the publishing industry was, um, they decided to set up their own press in order to publish Alan's um, short stories, taking Doreen from the Sky as the name of the collection, and also the name of the story, which we have republished in Book of Birmingham. I think it's quite a important short and beautiful short story. So basically it started with that, and... It, it it became it was very keen to establish itself as separate from the fiction group. So Alan Marr, who was the director, stopped who set up the fiction group, stopped being part of the fiction group during the duration of that press, so that there were no conflicting interests. Um, and they they published a lot of novels and a lot of short stories. And I think the main thing that they focused on was regional literature. So it was, you know, from different parts of, of the country um, outside of London. And I think they had a lot of success and it took a lot of people by surprise. Um, uh, they had various prizes and short listings and, 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 and books that had been rejected a lot of the time by publishers has there kind of almost been did that kind of kick start a kind of uh, a writing movement in Birmingham or would you say it's kind of always been there um I think it definitely I don't know if it revived something or created something because I think it actually gave a lot of writers and I see some of those writers popping up and you know some went on to have publishing careers and for some, it's it's. I think it's given them little moments of confidence, which has sustained them for years going forward. Um, but partly the confidence, I think, to to be able to write very kind of specific and rooted and located um, literature. Speaking for myself personally, apart from having quite a few short stories in different anthologies, I edited this anthology called Two Asian, Not Asian Enough. And that was an idea that I approached Indoor Street Press with, um, probably around 2009. Um, and it was quite amazing at how supportive they were about this quite, um, I guess, overtly political idea. It was to bring together a collection of short stories by South Asian Britain-based writers, which avoided the kind of usual standard narratives and tropes um, that, you know, that writers felt that they were pressurized to constantly reproduce about rage marriages and culture clash and generation gap. The kind of stories that publishers might tell them are too Asian or not Asian enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I don't know, people still keep talking. That was published in 2011, but it still comes up often um, that anthology and people seem to have remembered it and there were some really good writers who came together in it. 
So would you say that the work that you're doing with uh, Comma at the moment is almost like a kind of, uh, I don't want to use the word sequel, but it, it's kind of taking that and, and um, updating that to sort of 2018? Is it? Oh, that's an interesting thought. I mean, I know definitely that Ra was quite, um, um, I think one of the reasons why he was keen to do this was because of too Asian, not Asian enough. And so I imagine, he hasn't said so specifically, but I imagine that an aspect of um, that is in common is a kind of overt political approach, which I do tend to have to literature. And, and so there isn't, some publishers may avoid that, but I think that's something that um, was encouraged. Um, and I don't know if it was a sequel exactly. I think because Two Asian Asian Enough was not Birmingham-centric. Um, but definitely in terms of very different stories, very fresh stories, um, very specific kind of you know, stories as well, there's, there's definitely a kind of connection. Experience of Birmingham is kind of really visiting there as, as a teenager. You get on the train because I grew up in Stafford and we just go to the shops and that's it. And we'd only ever really kind of experience the centre and that's a place that's kind of undergone an awful lot of change certainly in the last few years and you mentioned this in the intro to your book um so I mean how what are your thoughts on the way that um Birmingham has changed um I mean I guess it's it's difficult to say whether it's positive or negative I definitely I have to say because I've returned to the city after a while um and I do feel that there's a great great energy um, and a lot of people coming to the city and a part of that, I guess, is a kind of uh, regeneration, especially of the city centre. Um, and there's this prospective, um, you know, train fast line that will be um, going, uh, connecting Birmingham to London and, and other parts. And I guess a lot of companies are setting up here and, and there's been a lot of kind of, uh, uh, kind of new um, development in the city centre, which is growing. I think the thing that does surprise you is that once you go out of that city centre, there's many parts. For example, I've moved now to Hansworth, just next to city centre, but, you know, it's completely untouched by all this money that's going into the centre. A lot of kind of abandonment, abandoned buildings. And so I, I think it's it's a mixture. I think it's uh, probably certain areas and certain communities remain very deprived and there's a lot of money being poured into certain areas and a, a lot of activity happening as well. Uh, in terms of literature, I'm, I am really feeling, and, and partly I think it's because there's a lot of people that have been moving to Birmingham. I certainly know lots of academics or just various uh, people who write or are writers who have been moving back to the city or for the first time they're moving to the city. Um, so it, it feels like there's a very lively literary scene at the moment. Um, and one of the things that has been um, connecting that is, I mentioned in the introduction, this writing West Midlands, which is uh, run by Jonathan Davidson. And I think he has a room to a four scheme, which I'm part of this year. Um, but he really does a great job in kind of supporting writers, connecting them and feeding this literary scene. Um, but at the same time, there's also lots of different pockets and you know, lots happening, whether it's in different languages. I think a lot of kind of radical young poets 
um, who are coming up. So you kind of mentioned as well, and you just sort of briefly touched on the very different neighbourhoods. And just going back to the city centre, I think you have a lovely phrase in your intro that kind of describes it as a done up front room. But you have these different sort of areas as well. And I think it's kind of, I think you, the phrase that you use is kind of separate rather than segregated. Uh, you've got these kind of conflicting uh, and, and often neglected neighbourhoods uh, as you kind of go out from the city centre. So w- would you say that's very typical of Birmingham? I mean, I, I guess it's possible that that is there in, in a lot of cities. And I think um, I'm partly engaging with that in in uh, a place like Birmingham, and perhaps you could say the same about um, a city like Bradford as well, is um, because there's a, often a kind of um, tarnishing of these cities um, in the kind of wider national consciousness or media representations, or um, like Birmingham certainly is often kind of represented uh, in terms of crime or terrorism or. Um, you know, seen as a place of fear, uh, riots. And why do you think that is? I mean, I guess it's it. There's there's partly the 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 city. You, on one hand, you could say it's very mixed, or there's a lot of um, communities who are from um, you know non-white communities. It is um, one of the cities which I think is going to have a a, a, a larger proportion of you know larger non-white population going ahead and 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 that's very visible in the city and i i think i'm what i'm questioning is this idea of i guess there's a fear often of that and perhaps this could be one of the reasons why it's presented in 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 a negative way and it's something to be honest that i love about the city kind of kind of become a bit of a, a magnet for fake news isn't it this kind of whole it's not safe to walk the streets in Birmingham which is just nonsense really isn't it yeah it is and and also I think some of the areas that I've personally found the most kind of frightening are you know not are, are actually predominantly white areas where I used to go and teach um, and I would find a lot of kind of racism um, there, so there, a few years ago, there was uh, that incident of um, somebody who came on Fox News, and I think he also said something about Birmingham, saying that it's being taken over by Muslims and uh, it's not safe to go there. In the, in my introduction, what I'm trying to, to bring up is um, this idea that I'm not I'm not saying that it's like a kind of multicultural happy mix even though there may be some elements of that going on, perhaps it may appear like that in the city centre. But um, what I'm kind of suggesting is that actually there is a lot of um, people kind of coming together in that space of the city centre from different pockets. The pockets around Birmingham are often quite distinct communities. Um, and they're coming from those communities into the centre, and it's not necessarily that everybody's mixing with each other, but then it's not necessarily, doesn't have to be seen as a negative thing or a sinister thing. So I'm questioning the whole discourse around integration and segregation and saying that perhaps you often get a lot of kind of richness and culture and um, confidence when you are, for example, from a community of those large like you, even though there are always layers within those communities and people can feel oppressed within them. Um, 
So a place like, I mean, I think it's just not a coincidence that a place like Handsworth has produced such a large number of musicians and writers and people who've gone into television and acting. And I mean, it's just, it's kind of disproportionate, but I think there's a reason for that. And part of it is a kind of confidence, um, which perhaps if you as a person of color have um, always been a kind of, you know, isolated person or you've been a minority in a white context, you may have struggled a lot in terms of your self-esteem or your confidence or feeling a kind of shame about yourself. I don't know if this makes sense. Oh, no, no, it completely does. I mean, you have a lovely phrase in your introduction where you say there's an endless number of Birminghams. It kind of means lots of different things to different people. Whereas kind of outside Birmingham, it might sort of have a slight negative image. I mean, I, I guess I was thinking about this the other day and I was listening to um, the radio and there was a programme on called um, Could the Prime Minister Ever Have a Brummy Accent? And, mm. you know, it's kind of playing up to that um, sort of myth that sort of Birmingham people are kind of quite thick because of the way they speak uh i mean the documentary wasn't about that but the title was kind of trying to draw you in and grab your attention that way and i think it, it is just one of those places where uh, to, to sort of understand it you have to be really in the thick of it don't you um that's true i mean there's two things i was going to say one of them i mean it's i think that title alone is quite disturbing kind of prime minister of a brummy accent because i guess and maybe it is just a common perception but it's very clearly saying that a Brummy accent makes you, you know, I mean, it was, it was kind about, of stupid. It was <laughs> yeah, about yeah, regional like, accents in politics. So it wasn't just singling out um, Birmingham because you've got is it Jess Phillips is like the local MP and they were interviewing her, but they were also interviewing MPs from sort of different parts of the country, all of whom have quite thick accents. And it's just kind of really about that class snobbery in Parliament. But mm. it, I just thought it was a really interesting title. Mm. Sorry, yeah, I and, and also <laughs> I think the... <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. Um, so, yeah, I guess the, the, the thing about the being from the regions and not having kind of standard English or, you know, London accent. Um, but then there's also the class thing, as you just said. So I think that um, this is something I talk about in the introduction, too, that uh, um, because Birmingham has this industrial history and a lot of uh, the people... Um, kind of came to Birmingham already, you know, were in Birmingham, work, have been working class and worked in the factories and um, worked in the industries, the foundries. So I guess that's another association that people also have with Birmingham and with the accent mm, as yeah, well. That's true. Um, so um, when you first started to kind of put this project together, um, how did you collect the stories together? Did you kind of put a shout out to people you already knew? Or uh, so it has actually been a project that was um, was in the pipeline for a few years um, in a kind of stopping and starting way. So um, I think it's been a kind of staged thing every now and then. There was an effort to kind of reach out a little bit and, and it wasn't like a big call out, but it was especially a lot of approaching writers, um, established and newer writers, but also kind of through word of mouth, encouraging, you know, certain things to be on websites or tweets um, that we're looking for stories. I think it wasn't a, a kind of big open submission because I, I don't think I could have. I wouldn't have been able to to read all to those stories. All if, 
Yeah, but even but then again, actually, I think I did read quite a few stories in the end. I think it, it was a kind of slowly kind of every now and then a story came in that really struck me and that I really liked. So to some extent, it was about the stories that I particularly liked. But then there was a process of working with the press. Um, someone called Sarah Cleave at Comma worked with me and we kind of brought it down to a short list and we decided also to include a short story by Joel Lane um, who passed away a few years ago. He was quite a, a loved Birmingham writer. I don't think he's perhaps so well known, I don't know, perhaps outside of the outside of Birmingham and perhaps also outside of the fantasy science fiction um, uh, world because uh, I think he's really kind of known and loved um, in that context um, but it, it was kind of wanted to include something by him as a tribute as well so, him. he was also part of the Tinder Street Fiction group oh right so what kind of stories were you looking for or did you kind of find that it came together and uh, the, the shape started to form as the stories came in um, yeah I guess it was it was more about the shape forming as the stories came in so it's more just about what um struck me or what I liked I think one of the things that um, perhaps what the collection has turned out to be has is perhaps showing experiences or stories that don't often um, get told or get seen or from perspectives that um, you don't often see in, in short stories so we one of the things we did do which is a part of the the process of comma putting these city anthologies together is um, ask writers if they can connect with a kind of aspect of recent history of the city mm -hmm. and also you know try to get some variety in terms of different parts of the city um, not to kind of represent either those, those moments in history or the areas because I don't think any Form, you know, work of literature can kind of do that, but just to kind of um, have some variety and, and be able to tell the story of the city in some way. Um, how, how many stories do you have in there in the book? Ten. Roughly ten. And, yeah. and so for, for those authors, I know um, as the editor, you're not supposed to have any favourites, but are, are there any kind of highlights? Um, yeah, I don't know. Is that is it, am I allowed to do that? <laughs> <laughs> I love all of them equally. Is there um, anything that, that think, when it came in, kind of really took your breath away? Which, so one of the stories which I already mentioned, which I, um, w which has been previously published, and I do really love it, is Alan Beard's Taking Doreen from the Sky. And I just find that he has written in such a poetic way about um, um, a man who's working in a factory and loses his job and his kind of love for his wife. So it's a kind of love story and this kind of industrial heartland. And um, I just think it's just a very beautiful story. So I was really glad to kind of be able to revive that again um, yeah, through so, this anthology. And so you mentioned that some of your writers were taking kind of um, recent history as a starting point. Uh, what kind of events did they um, use as inspiration? Um, so we had... Um, Alvindo Banga's got a story which is called 1985 and that is about um, uh, I'm reluctant always to use the word riots because I think I think there's never 
riots exactly. Um, there's often either uprisings or kind of massacres. Um, so um, the 1985 kind of uprising, um, and he's writing about that from a kind of Asian perspective. Um, he, he grew up in Birmingham and was there um, at, at that time. That's one of them. And then there's Kit Dewal's story, which is about uh, Malcolm X visiting Smethwick. And, and uh, uh, she's, I mean, she's the, probably, I mean, she's, she's uh, suddenly kind of become very successful, hasn't she? And uh, I mean, how is it getting her on board? And I actually had her in mind for this anthology from the very beginning. And she had agreed to contribute and, um, and perhaps it would have been this story, but um, a, 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 this was a few years ago. Uh, Ra had a, another, Ra from Comma Page, had another anthology coming out, which was a protest book, um, which I think has, has done very well. And um, that actually included this story in, in, in it, in the protest anthology. So this was a story that had already been published Mm, it's still um, great to, it was, to have her on board. And it was so, no, it's really good to have her on board, and it was just, just so appropriate for this anthology as well. So one of the things that you mention in your introduction, and it really surprised me, I'd never thought about it, is that you say that more than 40% of the population of Birmingham is under 25. So it's quite a young city in a way, isn't it? Um, mm. Do you have uh, many... Um, I don't want to use the word young because it feels patronising, but these kind of emerging writers, do you have many emerging writers kind of featuring in the book? Um, I guess probably I, I'm trying to think, but I don't think that there are any writers who are in their 20s. Um, I think all the writers are 30s onwards. Um, and I guess in, in to different degrees established, I think I'd, I'd be reluctant to use the word emerging because... I don't know, it can somehow feel as if people, writers who have been writing for 10, 20 years, um, perhaps because they don't have a, you know, a big novel out or something, still get described as emerging writers. Um, so somebody like Valvinder or Malachi McIntosh, who's in the anthology, I mean, I know that they've been writing for many years. So, yeah, I wouldn't use the word emerging writers. It's a very vague but, uh, term, isn't it? <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's not vague, but you know what I mean. It's. I think it's just always used for anybody um, who's who writes but doesn't have a novel, perhaps. This is true. Yes. Yeah. So uh, the book is uh, out now. Am I right? It's just it was published in October. That's right. Yes. And and have you been doing a lot of publicity for that already? Um, a little bit. Um, we've uh, had um, uh, we had a launch event at the Birmingham Literature Festival, and there's been some media coverage. So what goes on at the uh, Birmingham Literature Festival then? Because I wasn't aware that they, they had one. Is it a, a big thing? or It is quite big. Um, so I mentioned earlier Jonathan Davidson, who um, runs Writing West Midlands. And uh, one of the things that Writing West Midlands organises is this literature festival, which has been going for many years, actually. I think it used to be called the Readers and Writers Festival. And actually, about 13 years ago, I worked with the festival over a couple of years. And so I, I just kind of, it's just been a kind of long-term, steady and very solid festival mm. that kind of both brings writers in internationally and nationally, but also really draws on kind of local 
um, groups and writers. And um, Antonia Beck is the director of the festival. Cool. And so um, just sort of maybe moving on a little bit from the book, let's talk about um, your own writing. Um, now you've edited uh, an anthology. Uh, what are you working on next? Um, I, like I said in the beginning, I'm kind of working on a lot of things simultaneously. So I, I have a novel which I've been working on for many years, which is actually set in Handsworth um, in the 1980s. And I have a draft for this. I recently, um, just a couple of months ago, won um, third prize in the SI Leeds Literary Prize for a draft of the novel. Um, and I just need to continue to, to, to work on that and try to get it published. Um, and then I'm doing translation work. And this is something that I've always wanted to take forward. I've been trying to kind of work on my Hindi and Punjabi reading for years and at the moment, I'm translating a collection of short stories. Um, they're actually not published as a collection, but the individual stories by a, a writer based in Delhi. Um, That's great because it's. And I was listening to a, a podcast earlier today, and there was a translator uh, being interviewed there, and and just they, they were saying it was a completely different discipline almost. You're, and and you kind of become very sort of intimately familiar with whatever it is that you're translating. It kind of like um, get really gets under your skin. Do you find that? Yes, I have to say, um, and it is something I've started to do quite recently. I love it. Partly, it's easier than writing your own. <laughs> I suppose, um, yeah. <laughs> your own work, uh, which I enjoy as well. But um, and I, yeah, I do. The writer that I'm translating is actually a very close and old friend. So I feel it's almost a strange experience because I feel so much love while I'm translating and I'll send her messages and it's like a one-sided thing because she doesn't know that I'm doing this and having these feelings about her work. And, All right. um, and, uh, and obviously you do draw on your ex own experience. I, I, I find my voice, my writer's voice does come into the translation. So you, you do draw on that. Uh, and I've been having really, I've, got, I've actually got a mentor, so this has been pushing me to take this forward. Oh, how's um, that worked? Uh, so there's uh, something, there's a kind of mentoring bursary scheme, this National Centre of Writing, and there's a writer who translates a lot of Chinese language literature called Jeremy Tiang, who's wonderful, and I've been working with him. Um, and we have lots of really um, wonderful conversations, which I know are also relevant to my fiction writing about um writing about certain specific kind of cultures and and languages and what you translate or what you don't whether you should use italics whether you need to explain whether you just kind of i guess broaden the english language by bringing in kind of specific references so yeah it's been really interesting Definitely i've been enjoying it, about, isn't it? Yeah. you've already kind of touched on this a little bit anyway but i mean the work that you're doing translating and the work that you've done editing this book of birmingham stories has that kind of informed your own writing did you find any of that kind of feeding into your work in progress because i've been working on my fiction for a long time so if anything probably um uh, the the editing is coming later or the translation is coming later but I think it's all connected to also my academic work as well which so everything that I do is all kind of centered around just thinking about the politics of writing 
um, and thinking about things like specificity um, and how not to erase that, how to question ideas about a universal kind of perspective or reader. Um, I guess not not see literature as representative of anything. Um, so writers don't represent communities or contexts. And also, um, my academic work is about reading literature very closely and thinking about ideologies and how we can internalize certain ways of looking at the world. And then that's reproduced in our literature. And as readers, we don't often notice because it's normalized. I just want to round off the interview with a few questions that I normally ask my guests. Uh, okay. And so the first one is, tell us about the last book you read. Uh, so the last book I read was this novel by Camilla Shamsi called Home Fire, which I think has been um, quite popular recently. It's her last novel. Um, have you heard of it? I have, yes. What were your thoughts on it? Um, so on one hand, it's very readable. Um, I, I, I really enjoyed reading it and read it quite um, quickly. Um, it's very topical and current at the moment. I think um, I have, and it's been so very well received, but I do, and I was talking earlier about my kind of approach to literature in terms of thinking about ideology and the things that get normalized and often don't get noticed. So I think I find it difficult to read literature without thinking about those things now. Um, so I think I did feel that um, the novel did um, have some concerns for me in terms of, I guess, being about Britishness. And, and I think that um, it, it can uh, end up othering other places, for example, or um, other worldviews. And um, I, I kind of think it's not as broad and open as people may think it is mm -hmm. um, but it's more about kind of this I guess this idea of Britishness as something that's not very broad but that who you know the fact that some people are perhaps not allowed to or accepted into this idea of Britishness but Britishness is also you know something that is seen as desirable so yeah I did have some issues with the novel as well. Well, that's fair enough. Um, so leads me on to the next question is, is there a novel that you wish you had written? So it's just a roundabout way of saying, you know, really, what is your favourite book? Um, I mean, I have a few, but one of the novels that I would say I especially love is probably my um, favourite British kind of immigrant um, novel is Sam Selvan's Lonely Londoners. Um, I think apart from the fact that perhaps it doesn't do a lot of justice to the female perspective, I think it um, uh, is, is, is a novel I really love. And, and I think if I could write anything as good as that, I'd be happy. It was written, what is it, 50s or 60s? I'm trying to think. Yeah, it, yeah it's that's that right. Kind of era, isn't it? Yeah, that's a good book. Yeah. I love reading that myself. Great. And, and so uh, and the last question is, is, is there a short story or a piece of writing that you would like to recommend to our listeners? This can be this can be anything. It can be from one of the books that you've edited or a particular thing that's kind of leapt out at you recently. So I think I'm going to have to say Book of Birmingham. Good. Good for you. Why not? Blow your own trumpet. <laughs> it's not necessarily blowing my own trumpet. I think it's uh, more the the brilliant uh, writers and stories in the collection. I think um, 
um, it, it, it's, it's really a quite powerful and stunning collection of stories. And uh, I think a lot of people who've been reading it have, coming, have been coming to me to say that it's quite unexpected kind of perspectives and you know, moments of history and, and, and yeah, really powerful stories. Pack a pack us up and rest up here on Black Country Road you never know, you might find it here on Black Country Rock. Pack a pack horse up and rest up here on Black Country Rock. You never know, you might find it here Black Country Rock. So, there you go. And I hope you found that chat with Kavita and Jendela's extract uh, intriguing enough to go out and buy the book. It's just been published by Comma. And thank you to Kavita, Jendela and Zoe at Comma for helping to put this episode together. Um, I do this for free. Uh, I don't I didn't even get any free books out of it at the moment. And also my guests, they give up their time for free to chat to me. And at the end of the day, I'm just some guy waffling in his spare room into a microphone and i think it's really nice that people can do that it's great if you've enjoyed this episode that if you can go out and and read their stuff support them uh, because they gave up their time for free uh, anyway comma book of birmingham does sound excellent and uh, you should be able to get it now from most good bookshops um the music that we played just now to take us out of the interview was david bowie and black country rock obviously west midlands kind of also known as the black country so there's a bit of a thing going on there but really the reason why i chose that is to kind of tease you about the next episode of inside of a dog which i talked to fj morris who has written a book of flash fiction called this is not about david bowie and so uh, we talk about flash fiction short stories and that kind of thing but more importantly we just kind of geek out a little bit on probably one of the greatest recording artists who's ever been anyway if that's whetted your appetite, that episode is going to drop probably, I think, in about a week's time. I'm just going to leave it at that for the time being. If you like this podcast, please go like and subscribe. I know podcasters say that all the time and it kind of feels vaguely needy, but we are a needy bunch and it is nice to get that feedback. And it kind of helps the podcast get a little bit more traction and that ensures future episodes. So anyway, and if this is the first time you've heard the podcast, I hope you come back again. Anyway, I'm just going to leave it at that because I really am waffling now. Thank you very much and good night.